Our scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 18, the first 15 verses. Pew Bible, page 24. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out, my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I can't. It's just too hard. Too difficult. It's just not going to happen. And maybe some of you are wondering, is Carrie going to preach a sermon or is he just going to give up? (laughs) Have you ever said something like that? Have you ever encountered a situation or circumstance in your life when you maxed out on your human potential and still didn't make it? When you realize that something was so completely out of your reach that you told everybody else around you in frustration, there's no point. You just had to say, it's not possible. You had to give up, throw in the town. And then you begin to believe the lie or the lies. That if God hadn't answered your prayer by now, he surely wasn't going to. Or you wrongfully think 
that your human limitations also apply to the God who created the heavens and the earth. And in your puny, human-sized brain, don't worry, I have the same brain, okay, you think to yourself, if I can't accomplish it, how could God? Well, our passage this morning challenges us in that particular area. The pivotal point of this passage is that verse, verse 14, when God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I used to get in trouble when I was younger. All of us kids would sit in the front pew together during the church service. And the pastor, he would ask questions like that. You know, the rhetorical kind. And I would blurt out answers. And the pastor, he was nice. He didn't get on to me, you know, too hard. Just was kind of shocked and surprised by an interruption that he wasn't expecting. Because the point is, with a rhetorical question, you know the answer without having to say the answer. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No! No, nothing's too hard for the Lord. In fact, in the Hebrew, that word translated in NIV, hard, is the word wonderful. Is anything too wonderful? Is anything too miraculous? Is anything too marvelous for the Lord? What we have in our passage this morning is an encounter between someone who's reached the end of their human potential and their belief that somehow their limitations apply to God. So this morning we have two points. The first is a wonderful visit, and the second is a wonderful promise. Uh, the first eight verses of our passage this morning are, are quite interesting. We're told in verse 1 that the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. In ancient Near Eastern culture, the heat of the day was the time in which you found shade and coolness and you rested and you refreshed yourself. And the ancient Near Eastern culture was very, very, very much about hospitality and welcoming guests. In fact, often covenants or treaties that were made between people were done in the form of a meal around a table. And so it's not a shock that Abraham is still living around the trees of Mamre and here somebody comes at the heat of the day and Abraham is resting under the shade of these trees. So he looks up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Abraham here is playing the part of the prototype ancient Near Eastern hospitable host. In fact, in rabbinic culture and Jewish culture, Abraham was 
prays for his kindness, his hospitality, his ability to be the, the premier host. And we see this. Abraham sees these gentlemen, these three people, walk in, and he goes out to them. He goes out of the shade. He, he goes to meet them. He bows low to the ground. He honors them, and he says to them, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Now, what's interesting about this interaction is that you can see from the note given uh, down at the bottom, the footnote, that there when it says, my Lord, and it says, a, or, O Lord, that in the past, in translating this particular passage, there was confusion about whether it is that Abraham knew who it was, who he was talking to. And for some, it seemed rather bizarre that Abraham could run up to these three men or people who appeared to him and not know that this was Yahweh, the Lord. Yet nonetheless, it is somewhat of a lesson to understand that God can show up in surprising ways in our lives. The word translated there is not the Hebrew covenantal name, Yahweh, as it is in verse 1 when we are told the Lord appeared to Abraham. It's the word Adonai. And Adonai can be used simply as a, uh, an honorary term given to princes, landowners, highly favored people in society. So, this is Abraham coming up to these people who he seems to know are important, but he does not recognize them. And as the passage goes on, there's a furthering and furthering of understanding of who exactly this is. So Abraham, he says, my Lord, don't pass your servant by. And he offers his hospitality, he offers his space, he offers his um, home, his area, his himself. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Another interesting note about this passage is that these three seem to answer together in unison. Very well, they answered, do as you say. Where is your wife Sarah, verse 9? They asked him. And some have looked at this particular passage in the Old Testament and said this is a theophany of uh, the Trinity. This is a uh, pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, but I think an interesting note to be taken about this particular passage is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, which surely must be speaking of this encounter. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, we read, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Have you ever thought to yourself, you ran into someone who said the right thing to you, never met before, maybe they were an angel. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 seems to be speaking of this encounter 
with Abraham. He doesn't know who these three are. He doesn't know that this is the Lord and two of his angels. He doesn't know this. But yet he offers his hospitality. He offers his place. He offers his shade. He offers his time to these strangers. That's a wonderful visit. And so Abraham increases his offer of hospitality. Look, he says, let me get you a drink of water. Let me get you something to wash your feet. Let me get you something to eat. But we read that he runs and he tells Sarah in the tent, quick, get three sias of fine flour, knead it, and bake some bread. That's 20 quarts of flour, 22 liters of flour. This is a lot of bread. Okay? Then he runs to the herd and he selects a choice tender calf. They're going to have some burgers. They're going to have some filet mignon. They're going to have some steak. New York strip. Ribeye. It's going to be good. Who hurries to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk. Not just the milk, but the curds that came with the milk. And the calf that had been prepared. And he set this before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. This is Abraham. The father of the faith. This is Abraham who's been promised by the God of the universe, the God who's created the heavens and the earth, and that he will be a great man, and from him all nations will be blessed, and he will be the father of a great nation, and Abraham is waiting tables. He brings these three honored guests their food, and he stands by under the tree to serve them, to refill their drinks, to bring them more food. This, this is a wonderful visit. This is something that is communicating to us something beautiful, something marvelous. And what that is, is not, you should also be hospitable. I don't want to jump there yet, okay? Because that is true. The New Testament scriptures speak very clearly about our calling as Christians to be hospitable, to be welcoming of strangers, to be opening our houses to each other, to showing brotherly and sisterly love, right? But why is it? Why is it that we are called as Christians to do that? And it's because God is hospitable. And his hospitality is most clearly shown in his giving of his son, Jesus Christ, that we may come in to be with him, that we may be welcomed into his presence, that we may be invited to the feast of feasts. And so here is how the Christian life works. Understand that you are not hospitable. You are enemies of God. You are haters of your neighbors, right? And God in all his perfect hospitality has opened himself up to you. 
has welcomed you to his table to dine and to feast and to be in his presence through Jesus Christ, his son. And now through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we are called to the transformation that we've gone from haters of neighbor, haters of God, to be lovers of God, lovers of neighbor, open, hospitable, like Abraham here is representing, but also as God is representing. Because do you understand that this is God coming down and accepting what Abraham is offering him? Communing with him, dining with him, feasting with him. This is the God who is so different and other and beyond us becoming close to us. Sitting with us in the shade of a tree. Eating the food that we offer. He doesn't need to eat. It's a wonderful visit. But there's also a wonderful promise. Verse 9, I do believe that Abraham begins to have suspicions about who his visitor really is. Because in verse 9, we read, the question is asked, where is your wife, Sarah? Not Sarai, but her new covenant name, given in just the previous chapter. Where is your wife, Sarah? The one I named Sarah. See, you see the clue given here? And Abraham says there in the tent. And then here in verse 10, we see that there's more revelation given. Then he, the Lord, said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Abraham must have known who it was at this point because the Lord had already appeared to him and told him this very thing. But the Lord is coming again to tell him this wonderful promise. I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah, we read, was listening at the entrance to the tent. She's uh, eavesdropping. She wants to know what the scoop is. She wants to know who these people are and why they're talking to her husband, Abraham, and what they're talking about. And of course, she would be quite curious to know that the discussion asked, happens to be about her. Her name was dropped. Her ears were burning. Now we read in verse 11, a very important note. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. Now if you want to know specifics, Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And if you know that, then you understand why this comes next. In verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have pleasure? Will I now have this pleasure? If you need to know why this is a wonderful promise, if you need to know why it is that the Lord says, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord, too miraculous 
for the Lord, then what you need to understand is that what Sarah is confessing here is that she is past the time of being able to have children. She no longer has the monthly cycle that women have. She's gone through what many call today menopause. She is not able to have children anymore. And she has not been able to have children for some time. She knows her body and knows that this is not a possibility. This is not something that can happen. She wrongfully thought that her human limitations also applied to God. So she laughs. She laughs to herself. She laughs in her heart. And she says what any person would say. It's not possible. It's not possible. But then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and you say, will I really, and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. So Sarah laughs, but God gets the last laugh. Sarah laughs because she's like any of us, weak in our faith. She's like any of us who've encountered a situation or circumstance in which we've maxed out on our human potential and still didn't make it. She's like any of us because as the time approached, her and Abraham rang their hands trying to figure out how exactly it is that they could work to accomplish this. They said, at first, well, Eleazar Damascus will be the one who will inherit my house and all my belongings. And he will be my heir, even though he's not of my own flesh and my own bun, bone. And then, and then they said, well, maybe, maybe we could take my servant Hagar. She can be your wife and she can give you a son through Ishmael. And that didn't work out because now there's all these tensions and difficulties in their house. And God has come and told them, Ishmael will not be the heir. Someone from your very own flesh will be your heir. And now years and years have passed. Even from the time that God had appeared to Abraham last, 10 years have passed. Time has passed, and, and, and they're not getting any younger. And Sarah's here saying, you said this would happen, God, but I am past the age of childbearing. I can't do this. How can this even be possible? And aren't we like that? In situations and circumstances... We say, God, I've prayed for this for years. I've prayed about this for years. Nothing has changed. This pain won't go away. This loss won't go away. This person still hasn't turned back to the Lord. They're still walking away from the Lord. This, this thing in my life has, 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 has not uh, been resolved Is anything too wonderful 
too miraculous? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do we understand that when God visits and he says that a 90-year-old woman who's past the age of childbearing will have a son the next time he comes for a visit, that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. You see, we do this, don't we? We do this. We see Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler tells him, I've kept all these things since I was a very young child. And, and, the, and Jesus says to him, well, you lack one thing. Go, sell all your possessions and come, follow me. And the rich young ruler had lots of money and lots of possessions. And he said, oh, I got to walk away because I can't, I can't do that. I can't promise that. And the disciples, they're all standing around and they're saying, Well, who then can be saved if it's easier for a rich man or if it's easier for someone to go through the the eye, a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven, then who then can be saved? You know what Jesus says? For man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I mean, how many times do we have to be surprised by God before we figure this out? Before we learn this? Before we understand that God is a God of wonderful A God of, wow, amazing, miraculous, magnificent. Is it before or after the man who was persecuting the early Christian church, going around holding coats while people stoned uh, uh, Stephen and, and dragging people off to jail and throwing them in prison and standing against them as they were on trial, who then converts and becomes the most prolific Christian missionary in the world who wrote the, most of the, the majority of the New Testament. Is that when we start believing that God is a God of wonderful? That there is nothing too hard for God? I think it really begins with understanding and knowing the miraculous and the wonderful of your own trusting in Christ. Your own Loving Jesus and seeing him as wonderful. That apart from God and his grace, that never would have been. And I think it comes in our own experiences and times and marvelous providences that we go through. That we're reminded again and again, like Sarah is in this situation, when confronted with her unbelief, that there is nothing too wonderful for God. There is nothing too hard for him. Don't lose faith. Don't stop believing that God is a God of wonderful. God is a God of miraculous. God is a God who stood above all his creation, watched it 
crumble and fall into sin and did not leave us as we were, but sent his son Jesus Christ to come into this world and redeem us. We who were enemies became God's friends. We who were lost in our own sin and deserving of hell and condemnation and judgment received grace, mercy, blessing. God is a God of wonderful. And in this wonderful promise that God has for Abraham and Sarah, that they'll have a son. And that son is Isaac. And every time Isaac heard his name, he probably thought, Dad, why is my name Isaac? And his dad had to say, well, whenever I heard I was going to have you, I laughed. And then whenever your mom, Sarah, heard that they were gonna have you, we were going to have you, she laughed. And so God's like, mm, I get the last laugh. His name is He Laughs, okay? You're going to have to say, you're going to have to be confronted with this for the rest of your life every time you call for Isaac. And through Isaac will come that Messiah, Jesus Christ. The answer to all the promises and blessings that God had promised in Abraham. Would you not be afraid if you found out that God heard you laugh when he offered you a promise? The one who cannot break promises? You laughed at his promise. Sarah lied to God. She said, I did not laugh. But God gets the last word. And there's a very interesting break in this passage here because it's almost as if we need to linger on that last word that God gets. Because God confronts our unbelief, doesn't he? And I'm glad he does. And he says, no, you can't lie to me. You, you did laugh. Yes, you did laugh. And that's the end of the conversation. Because you know what repentance is? Repentance is agreeing with what God says about you. And repentance when it comes to our lack of faith is saying, yeah, God, it is true that I have begun to believe the lies that there are some prayers you just aren't capable of answering. I have begun to believe that somehow my human limitations also apply to you, God, I have come to believe the lie that somehow I couldn't accomplish something by my own effort. Then there's no way you could. And so I have to be confronted, God. We all have to be confronted over and over again with the rhetorical question that God confronts Abraham and Sarah with. And I pray that it's something that you will carry with you. As believers, something you know the answer to, even though you're not supposed to say the answer, because it's obvious. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? 
So let me ask you, when you feel that your life is closing in, and in all these days it becomes even more hard to be hospitable and to open your lives to others and to welcome others into your life and to offer them your time and your, and your presence, is anything too hard for the Lord? Could he not work on your lives, change your heart, grow in you his hospitable nature? And let me ask you, when you are confronted with difficult situations and hardships and, and times that you feel like this is too hard, this is too difficult, this is something that's not going to be accomplished, this is something that's not going to come to pass in my life, that's not going to be changed in me, do you say to yourself, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful, too marvelous, too miraculous? for the Lord. And I pray, I pray that your heart, which has been renewed by Jesus Christ, by his spirit, your heart would sing, no. I know it to be true. No, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Amen. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us such a great salvation in Jesus Christ. That you have visited us in Jesus Christ and opened yourself to us. You are the hospitable God. May we be your hospitable people. Heavenly Father, thank you that you confront our unbelief. When we feel that our human limitations also apply to you, you show us over and over again that there is nothing too hard for you, nothing too wonderful for you. Lord, may we be reminded that just as if, just as, just, be, uh, just because it's true, that just as it is true that you can make a 90 year old woman and a 100 year old man have a son late in their days, that you can miraculously work to bring that baby into this world who would be the descendant of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, you can also take our hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. So, Lord, you can also answer that prayer that our loved one who is sick would be healed. You also, Lord, can answer our prayer that our loved one who's turned away from the Lord can turn back to you. That you also, Lord, can work in our lives and our hearts to help us with temptations and addictions and struggles and hardships. Because there's nothing too hard for you. Nothing too wonderful for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.